we've been talking together about Jesus walking on water. In reality, it could be talking on water because there's much more conversation here between the disciples and also between Jesus and Peter than there really is discussion about this miracle. And if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I encourage you to go back either to our website or our Facebook page to catch up on those sermons and to see what we share together in those conversations. Or we also have podcasts on Sermon Cloud or Apple that you can find as well. So we're going to look some more at conversations that happen between Peter and Jesus this day as we prepare for Thanksgiving, but also in the liturgical calendar, today is Christ as King Sunday, where we remember the reign of Jesus Christ. In Matthew's Gospel, if you remember from four years ago when I first came here during our first Advent, we looked at all four Gospels, and we said together, what is it that, that these four writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, want us to make sure that we don't miss about Jesus? And for Matthew, he wants to remind us that that, that, that infant struggling to use never-before-used lungs is the king of all kings. He is the Messiah sent for us. And so we see Jesus' power here. We see that put on display. But I think that the great, great miracle is also what's revealed about his heart and character. All right, so if you're following along in your notes, the first thing we bump into, I want us to look at the first thing that happens before this miracle. Because there are patterns here of Jesus that we cannot miss. What are the patterns that you see in his life that need to be a part of our life? First is this pattern where he says to them in verse 22, he made the disciples go ahead of him to the other side. And what is that other side on the east side of the Sea of Galilee? It's a place where they raise pigs, which is a no-no. We know that because at another time, Jesus cast demons into those pigs. And, oh, by the way, that's a place where there's all kinds of spiritual and demonic activity. And then there's all kinds of pagan things that happen on that side that these disciples would have been told by their mama a long time ago, you don't go there. I don't know what your mama told you. You don't go up to the... What is it? The totem after 11 o'clock, or wherever you used to hang out, the reservoir. For me, it was one Halloween. We thought we'd be cool. We had heard a rumor that there was a devil church in Byron, Mississippi. And that night could be the title of a great country song, The Devil Church in El Camino. Because that's what we did. We piled up in the back of my friend's El Camino, and we went out to check out this devil church on Halloween because we were tough and we wanted to see what was happening. There was a church. And behind that church was a bonfire, and several cars were parked there. Now, if you think that it's a devil church, and you understand on Halloween that it's a blood ritual night in that kind of church, you get a little nervous. So nervous that only a friend and me got out of the El Camino. Everybody else, like five or six kids, piled in the front and locked the doors and would not go up to the church. So we're going up to this church, just two of us, and all of a sudden, a car pulls up behind us and goes into the church. Well, that same car pulls out, looks at us, and leaves. And then as we're getting closer to the church and up the driveway, that car comes back again. We panic. We get scared, thinking we're going to be the ones on the bonfire, and we race back to the church. Now, listen. That was probably just a trunk or treat, right, at a local congregation. But it had gotten in our heads because it was dark and it was Halloween. We got freaked out man, all the way back. Six 18, 17-year-old kids either in fear in the cab of that car 
or us running back to the car because our imaginations had gotten the best of us. I wonder what was going through their heads. What's going through your heads when Jesus says, I want you to go to that other side where all that stuff is happening? <clears throat> Y'all, this isn't the first time he does it. And it's not the last time he does it with these disciples. Get over to the other side. And not only get over to the other side, I want you to go by yourself, and I want you to go at night. It's a constant happening in the life of Jesus to push his disciples. He's trained them for what life will look like after he is gone. Here's the pattern. You go to the other side. Where all those messy problems are, you get in the middle of it. As Jesus would prove to them in just a few minutes after this verse, he comes walking to them in their storm. He's setting the pattern now. You've got to go do the same. I know that stuff over there is scary. I know some of those people are scary. And I know there's brokenness and there's mess. But as I come out to you, my pattern for your life is get to the other side. Where is that? Who is that? For you. It's a repeated pattern of Christ Jesus. Not only is it the pattern of going to the other side, but then we see in verse 23, he went up to the mountain and he prayed. Now you and I know that we can always do more in our prayer life. We see the pattern here, though, set by Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, it's his routine, his example, his pattern to routinely find times to be set apart for prayer. We see him in everyday prayers, whether it's over a meal or just before a miracle like Lazarus, he's praying, but before he walks on water, before he picks the disciples, before the cross, there is set apart time where he is not just Praying, you know, we're told we have to learn to crawl before we can walk. Most of the prayers of scriptures are either on your knees or on your face. So we assume that Jesus is there down before his father, before these huge events in his life. If you and I are going to try to parent in this age or grandparent, if you and I are going to try to be faithful in a culture that doesn't know it's left hand from its right hand, if you and I are going to make an impact for the gospel, if you and I are going to be faithful, if you and I are going to be stewards of, of what God's given us, it's got to be a set-apart prayer life that will fund and undergird that. Jesus gives us this wonderful reminder that we are invited by the Father for set-apart prayer. I don't know if it's on a mountain for you. I don't know if it's down by the riverside. If you've got a prayer closet, but the invitation, just like the invitation is going to be on the water, come on. Come on out here. Come to the Father. How is it we can grow in our prayer lives so that he can do the things he wants to do in us and through us? It's a pattern we see in Jesus. But it's not just a pattern we see. In the glory of this miracle, we see the, the power of Jesus. And we, we don't want to miss that. I will say there's very little fanfare about this miracle. He just kind of does it. When he gets in the boat, it's just kind of over. The winds and the waves are gone. That's just like Jesus. Not to glory in the miracle, but I want to glory in is his heart and his, his character. But it certainly says to us, especially on Christ as King Sunday, this is not just a miracle worker. Their right response when this miracle happens, you hear Peter and the disciples using words like Lord and Son of God. The pagans of that time and after that time 
have gods for everything. They have gods for the storms, right? So if there's storms on the water, you can just assume that the gods got roused and they're mad at you and they're dropping rain and, and lightning on you. Okay, that's the gods. There's also, they have named them gods of the sea, gods of the deep, right? And so out on that, out on that water, you wonder if those disciples who've been raised not to believe that are wondering what's going on here and all their imaginations running wild and what did our psalm say to us today about the sea? God made it, and that sea belongs to him. And Jesus Christ, in the middle of any kind of mythology that says there's gods of the storm and gods of the sea, he walks on their gods, and then he gets in the boat without saying a word. With any kind of magic rite, ritual, magic book, he just literally stops those gods from speaking in the wind and waves that down. The sea belongs to the Lord, he who there really were two worldviews at that time. One was that there are many gods and this whole creation is just a lower vibration that happened on accident. The gods are amoral, they have no morality. And here comes Jesus, the one who fashioned the world, were not an accident, and he steps down into creation in all of his holiness and righteousness, but also subdues creation. It really is a beautiful picture and a powerful picture of who he is. All this fear over wind and waves and gods and sea and death, and he just walks on that stuff. We, like these disciples, bump into this passage, and we ought to, as they do, worship and bow down. And it's just like Jesus in this, throughout this whole gospel. You see his first act really in public ministry here, is he's looking the devil eye to eye and he does not flinch. And then there's this long sermon on the mount, but after you get, after, get uh, beyond that, the next thing that happens is another calming of the sea. The gods of this world, be still. And then after that, then it's the, the demons cast into swine in chapter 9. Chapter 16, he faces the mountain of Caesarea Philippi with a goat god pan, and again, he does not blink. Chapter 17, he's on top of the mountain, and Peter's, we'll get to it in a minute, he's talking about what they are to do up there, and God speaks, and all three of the disciples hit the ground in reverence because God has spoken, and Jesus doesn't flinch. He doesn't hit the ground. Why? Because that's his father. He is the Son of God. Every page showing the authority and the power and the rightful place of the Son of God. And it's on and on through this gospel. The demons get it. The disciples get it. The devil gets it. This is the Messiah and the King. And on Christ is King. It's right for us to glory in that, but to also, Lord, show me again. By your word and by your Holy Spirit, show me again. I'm dodging your kingship in any way. Have, have I forgotten about a place in my life that I committed to your leading and, and I really haven't stepped out in faith there? These disciples not only get that God's a God of grace as he saves Peter and as he calms the storm and he'll step into our storm, but this is the Lord. This is the Son of God. And when he comes into the boat, he comes as Savior, but he also comes, and his first act is to calm things, he comes as Lord. How is it we need to hear that? But then lastly, I want us to look at the response of Peter. This conversation, this is it, by the way. This is the first conversation that Jesus really has 
one-on-one -on -one with Peter. But the rest of the gospel, there's conversation after conversation. I've given you those verses in your, in your notes. You can go back and look at those later. But this is where this kind of one-on-one -on -one starts. And it's because Peter gets out of the boat and Jesus has a word to say about him. We looked at that uh, last week. But then just for today, what else does he say? You get to Matthew 15, 14 through 15, and Peter has to say, I need you to explain this, this parable. I don't get it. And Jesus calls him spiritually dull. So you got strike one. This is strike two. And then you get to Matthew 16, 16, and you think, okay, this is going to be a good conversation. What are others saying about me? Who do they say I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter just drops one of the greatest truths in all of Scripture. You are Christ, right? You're the Son of the living God. Now, Matthew reminds us it's, it's the Father who gave him that word, but at least he got that word and he spoke that word to Jesus. That's a win. What happens two minutes later? Jesus begins to talk about that the Son of God has come here really to die. And Peter has to pull him aside. He says, you're not doing that. And what is it that Jesus says back to him? What's the worst nickname you ever heard in junior high or on the playground of elementary school? We've got so many people that have joined the church since four years ago when I shared this story, so I'm going to share it again. My first name is Barry, my middle name is Lee, and my last name is Mayo. You put that together, what does it say? Barely Mayo. Thank you. It's a sign for you or new. That's a sign of deep affection for our church for me. When I leave on Sundays, and I've got people in this back corner every Sunday, how you doing, barely? That, that's a sign of affection. But my parents need barely male. That's a terrible name. <laughs> I'm the baddest Satan. Adversary. Hasatan. You are just like the devil to me. I'm trying to come here, not just to say I'm doing the Father's kingdom work here. You're going to thwart me from the heart of the re. I came through all kinds of things. To overturn the works of the devil. I came to preach the word and, 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 and reach the poor. But the heart of it is I came to die. And Peter falls on the side and says, Look, this isn't happening. Yet another conversation with Jesus. He blows it. Then you get to 17 8, the transfiguration. And, G and Peter's carrying on about these three booths. I don't know which booths these are, if it's from the tents of meeting or festival of tabernacles, whatever that may be. God, just before even Jesus can correct them, God speaks. And once God speaks, they just all hit the ground. And yet there's grace again from Jesus. They, they misunderstand. They're trying to do their little things, which are petty and trying to... And Jesus says, get up. You don't have to be afraid. Always when there's a word of truth, there comes a word of grace. Then you get to the end of that chapter 17. There's arguments over the temple times. And I'll be honest, this is one of the few places Peter did something right. He talks to his rabbi, his teacher, about something. And Jesus says, go do it. And assume he doesn't. He finally got something right. So let's just stop with the conversations. Then you get to the next chapter, chapter 18. And Peter can actually look Jesus in the eye and ask, how many times do I have to forget so much? And you think about the audacity of that. He's already pulled him aside and called him. He said, basically, just stop whatever you're doing for the kingdom. Don't die. He's already done all these things where he had little doubt or little faith, whatever it might be. And yet he says, how many times do I have to forgive 
other people praise God for Peter, but also for us that Jesus doesn't stop at seven. And then Matthew 19. He looks at Jesus and he says, we've left all. Basically, what are you going to do about it? Do you remember Bill Yuri who was here a few years ago for revival? Bill was back home for the holidays, I think, early on, either in his college work, I think. He was home, and his mother asked him, his sweet mom, who asked him to do something for her. Hey, would you pick this up or clean this up? We're having people come over. And his response to her was this. What's in it for Big Bill? <laughs> Talk about a nickname. I guess that's a good nickname for yourself. I'm Big Bill. What's in it for Big Bill? If it had been my mom, it had been a different response. I can tell you what's in it for Big Bill. Big kid, right? Whatever. Anyway. What's in it for Big Bill? And Peter says, what about us? We've left all this stuff for you. And we can be that way, right? He's with Jesus the Christ who said, you can be with me. You can be a disciple. All those other rabbis overlooked you. I am giving you. And he's already talked about everything he's going to bless them with. And you're still whining. You're still rumbling. And so what does Peter say? I'll tell you what big Peter can have. I can, no, what does he say? Let me tell you something. You were going to sit on the throne of God with me in glory. All 12 of them. All 12. Be with me in glory and authority. He doesn't respond with a punch. He doesn't respond with unforgiveness. You're going to have to be with glory. You're going to have authority in glory for you. You bring him your stuff. He wants you to bring him your stuff. We'll come back with the words. God always asks Job, asks Jonah, asks David. Always come back with the word. It's a beautiful word of grace here. Right after he's talked about forgiveness, we see grace one more time. And then we get sadly to chapter 26. You know that well. He betrays or promises he won't betray. And what a critical time for a timely word for somebody. And Peter can't give it there. And he can't give it later in 26 when he betrays three times. And so what does Jesus do about that word? I love it. His resurrection. What's the report? Tell my brothers, right? Tell my brothers that I'm here in Galilee. It's a word of reconciliation, as we talked about today in our Bible reading, if you're reading along in 2 Corinthians, a word of reconciliation. And I love how Mark says it. Mark says it even better. Uh, tell the disciples and tell Peter. And then lastly, in John's gospel, he has it the best. At the very end, on his very place of failure, First with the disciples, and then walking on water, right there on the Sea of Galilee. He's gone out at night. He's gone out and there's fishing. There's nothing happening, but I'm wondering out on that boat. And Peter is thinking to himself, that's where we've blown it twice. What happens when the dawn begins to break? The resurrected Christ meets him right there at his place of failure and says, Have you loved me? He, reinst he reinstitutes Peter. He pulls Peter in and reconciles him to ministry. It's just like Christ's awful word of grace. What about us this morning as we close? How's it with a prayer life? Are we following after his pattern of everyday prayer, but also making sure to have set apart prayer? Am I open to the Spirit leading me to the other side, to places and the people who desperately need Jesus? But also, am I rightly on this day, Christ is King Sunday, saying, Lord, I've neglected your kingship, if I've forgotten places where I've committed something, Lord, you can have them today. You come and be king today. 
And then lastly, just looking at, at Peter's response, you need the grace of Christ. You see these conversations stumbling and bumbling, and yet it's grace upon grace from our Lord Jesus. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Father, for these, for these reminders of your scripture about the goodness of your Son, the power and authority of your Son, and also the grace of your Son, we give you our thanks. Bless us as we follow his patterns. Bless us as we respond to his grace. Bless us as we submit ourselves to his authority. In Christ's name we pray and for his sake we pray. Amen. May we remain seated as we sing 1, 2, 3, 7. Again, the ushers will come as we receive the Lord's acre offering. Let us worship and let us respond together.